Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedan, founder and CEO of Devian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm your host, Christopher Dedian, and today we have Mike Mall, who is the founder and CEO of Impact Leads, which is a consulting firm focused on profitable lead generation. Mike, how are you doing today? I am doing amazing. Thank you. I am so excited to unpack this great story about entrepreneurship, about sometimes restarting as an entrepreneur and really talk about lead generation because as an entrepreneur, a huge driver of success comes through getting clients, right? Without clients, you don't get sales. Without sales, you're not going to succeed. But before unpacking all of that, I gave a small introduction of who you are. Do you mind telling us a bit more for our viewers and listeners who you are and what you do on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my, I own a company called Impact Leads. It's undergone a couple of different names as I've tried to figure out my, you know, my path through this agency life. It actually started as an app, um, you know, then it was some social stuff and paid ads, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so uh, today what we do is primarily cold outreach. Um, I like, I call what we do creating a preferred partner network. So, you know, especially with local businesses, we used to you know, know everybody who was around us. And we used to send each other businesses, send each other business on a constant basis. And we've gotten away from it. We, you know, we say, hey, we got to do all internet based stuff. It's got to be all technical. So I'm, I'm trying to bring a little bit of technology, but go kind of back to analog relationship building, real networking again. I mean, I, let me just highlight a couple of things. I love the fact that you're bringing it back to the analog because Granted, we're so blessed to have these technologies with Zoom, with Teams, and all these possible ways to utilize uh, networking and growing your business really internationally at the at our fingertips. But nothing will replace that human connection, that shaking somebody's hand, looking them in the eye, going out for lunch for a business sense. So I love the fact that you're correlating that because I see a value 100% in that than just doing it via Zoom. So how do you go about doing that transition in regards from the digital connection to the personal connection? What do you do? How do you support your clients with that? Yeah, absolutely. And so let me just say right off the bat, I'm a complete hypocrite. I am a fully digital. I live in Africa and Mexico. I'm all over the place and I don't actually meet my customers. So it's kind of funny how I'm like preaching this thing when I'm out in the middle of nowhere all the time. But um, I think the biggest thing is as the cost of ads go up and as people change their shopping behaviors on the internet, there's this real window to build, to rebuild some human connection. So what I do with a local business is I say, okay, who are the complementary companies? Who are the, you know, 20 to 30 people down the road that we don't know, but they have people going in their door and they, you know, they have relationships with their customers and, you know, where it's not a, where it's not competing, where could we get them to send us some client as well? And so we build those connections through email 
connect the business owners together. And then what I've been trying to convince more people to do is have a system where it's a little bit more trackable. A lot of companies will say, oh, great. I talked to Fred down the street. He's going to send me clients. I'm going to send him clients. And I'm like, cool, but you know, we have the internet. And so we can track this stuff now if we're smart about it. And so we use we use different marketing phone numbers and call tracking products so that uh, whether they search for a, a specific URL or they call this specific number or they scan a specific QR code, we're able to track through analytics, like how much traffic and how many inquiries and leads come into your company as a result of building these partner networks. I love the fact that we have access to this. And like you're saying that we have a very analytical approach to see where the leads are coming in, who's connecting and you've put in your CRM to really be solid because depending what you're serving or what uh, you're selling, if it is in the, let's say mid to high tier price point, you're going to need anywhere between 12 to 15 contacts before literally doing a sale. So having these systems is massively valuable. And I've seen a huge influx in the sales within my company because we're in that realm in the professional speaking and coaching world and the high tickets. So I love the fact that you're kind of unpacking that. Uh, Mike, I have really, once I kind of knew that we're going to talk about this, I had one question I was really itching to ask you, and I'm really intrigued you being in the industry, what your response is going to be. And it's in regards to kind of like the cold emails, the cold calls and the cold outreaches, more the fact of the cold outreaches like on LinkedIn and emails. How do you go about presenting that in a way that it's authentic and it doesn't feel like overwhelming, annoying, because I feel like lately, I'm speaking with myself, we've been getting an influx of these types of messages and it feels like it's it's counterintuitive. There isn't something that connects. So how can entrepreneurs stand out in a real way, not just writing an email, looking at like some of the things and putting it a bit personalized, like in a real way, what would you suggest for your customers and the people listening to really stand out in that regards? Absolutely. So there is a cheating version and then there is the version I love. And I use both. So we can go through both quickly. I, I know the sake of time, I'll, I'll go through them quick. So I like the hand-to-hand combat, scaling the unscalable. So for example, I just posted about a workshop. Um, I had you know maybe 35 people on LinkedIn you know, say, hey, I'm interested in this event. Well, it's an event that has a landing page and it's, a, you know, you pay to come. And of the 35 people who said, yeah, I'm interested, nobody actually went through to the page and finished it. I think the, the way that it kind of shows up, it, it can't tell that you're supposed to go to an external link. It's like, man, that kind of sucked. And like, I, you know, I did the invite and I, I, I sent them, you know, the invite through the LinkedIn thing. So what I did is I picked up my phone. And I went through every single person who said they wanted to attend the event. And I sent every single one of them a 45 second voice note. And I'm like, hey, thanks so much for your interest. Da, 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 da. This is what it's going to be about. I'm really excited. The material is amazing. I've been using it for myself. Hey, listen, just so you know that there's a page where you can actually register and where the where the ticket price is and stuff like that. And so me doing that, that I saw the traffic go up immediately. But that's not scalable, right? That's mm-hmm. hand-to-hand combat. I'm sending these people a voice note. And so if you want people to, if you want people to give you the time, I think you have to give the time first. This whole concept of like give value before you ask for anything. You making a personal connection is a form of giving value. And so when you're whether it's a you know a, a message on LinkedIn or it's an email, I do, I record videos for people and I'm like, 
Hey, Ted. Hey, Mark. Hey, Susie. And I, I, you know, I send them individually. Now, the cheating way you can do this is there are, are a lot of tools now where you can record one video and it'll use AI to uh, change out the name. So it's like the rest of the video is seamless, but the name at the beginning changes. And so you make the video and then you upload the list of names and then you just record the name like, hey, Mark, hey, Ted. Hey, and it's like super, super easy. And once you've recorded their first name once, anybody with that same first name, it's already done for you. So it actually makes this minute long video almost in an automated fashion. And like the upfront work is pretty minimal. Uh, the tools are getting really, really good. Uh, and we're getting a really good response when we're sending them out that way. So that's, you know, the new technology way to do it. But I think having a video that addresses the person by name and says, this is why I'm reaching out to you. Um, it just, I've used it to grow my businesses. The people that I've coached, they've used it to grow their business. It just works because nobody's doing it. Nobody's putting in the time. And so it's, for me, it's about putting in the time. Okay. I, I love what you answered there. And I want to unpack it for our viewers and listeners a bit more. So first and foremost, both strategies, right? Of like doing a personalized either voice thread, which I'm a huge fan of, or a video on, you know, bomb, bomb, spark, whatever. There's this email video aspect. It creates that personalization. Now, I did not know there's that AI option with the name. So that is very interesting as well. But you kind of separate this in two categories and it kind of alludes to the previous thing that you said, like, hey, I'm actually uh, a digital nomad traveling the world. So I don't meet a lot of people face to face. But the two categories is, researching the target that you want to specifically hit that's more let's call it like in parentheses here valuable or you know it's a better connection so do a more specific approach to them and then there's the other people like maybe second tier third tier to like hmm, i'm not sure if it's an exact fit and those are the ones that you send those automated ones now what i was alluding to in regards to uh the way that you connect because you said you're a digital nomad and as well am i uh, based out of montreal canada but i do travel the world due to my speaking engagements and where uh, my other properties are so it does make it that um, most of the times on Zoom. But that being said, I go out of my way when there's somebody that is very high level that I'm like, hey, there's a collaboration, a connection here that really needs to be done to meet them in person. So I think that's what you're kind of correlating here. And I love the fact that you're separating those aspects and it's not just one thing, copy, paste, copy, paste, because people feel it and, and didn't notice that. Uh, so Mike, I, I love the fact that we're kind of talking about this. The next thing I wanted to kind of highlight over here as I was going through your uh, story and your resume and all that fun stuff, there was something that you're very predominantly love to speak about. And I think it's something that not a lot of people go about it, which is giving yourself permission to start over, especially as an entrepreneur, right? Like if you have 10 businesses, nine out of 10 are going to fail. So before you hit that one, that's going to succeed. You are going to hit some failures and at certain points, you're going to have to start over and that might be tough. What do you think about that ideology? What's your thought process within that? Yeah, so I, I think we as entrepreneurs have a hard time because we start building this thing and it like quickly becomes our baby, right? Like mm -hmm. the idea comes from here, we form it here, and then it's this thing that's in the world that, you know, makes money and has a personality and customers love it. Some people don't like it. I mean, you you build this thing, which becomes your baby. And as a non-parent, that's like as close as I've gotten other than my cat taco, right? Is, is this thing that I built. But I think where a lot of people get stuck is they feel like they owe it something when that's not the reality. And so what I mean by that, so my story is, you know, I, 
I barely passed high school. I didn't go to college. I worked for a job that I hated for six years. I had a nervous breakdown. I quit my job, started an app. The app turned into the marketing agency. And that's been 10 years now since that happened. But I, up until recently, felt this obligation to my agency. And I kept, you know, tweaking it or changing my service offering. But it, it always felt like the same company. And if I'm being honest with myself, which I was able to do while I was in Africa for two months over the end of the year, I finally just said, you know, why do you think you owe this business your time and energy and attention? Why do you think you owe this project? And, and what I came up with is it was the thing that got me away from the job and the life that I hated. And with that, I, I, I just struggled to let it go. And I had, you know, a small team and I was like, well, if I let it go, that's going to be greedy on me. I'm, I'm letting people down. And if I, you know, but I'm so good at this thing. Like I, for the last year and a bit, I was, you know, paying myself five figures a month and I was working 50 hours a month. So like my output to income ratio was amazing. Like I had this what I thought was this perfect setup. And what I realized is my feeling of obligation to this company made me do this business for three years longer than I actually wanted to. Okay, so that that's a very interesting point because like you said, kind of let's call it in parentheses here, air quotes, the American dream is to start something to be able to make it cash flow positive that doesn't demand a lot of friction on your part to put employees and colleagues in place to put systems and processes, which I feel like is what you had with a, uh, like you said, a five-figure monthly uh, payout, as well as only working 50 hours a week, which is very good. Now, how are you? (laughs) So how did you go about being like, hey, you know what? I want to let go of this at a very high level and pursue something else? Was it the passion part? Are you still scared about it? Is it because you had already created something and it was kind of rolling? How did that aspect happen for you? It it came down to being honest with myself. And what's funny is I had the self-awareness. Mm-hmm. When I told my my ex-partner, who I'm still like, I still keep in touch with her fairly regularly, um, you know, but she helped me within the company. You know, my sister was a full-time employee for six and a half years. She worked for me. And when I told them both, they were like, finally. And I was like, oh man, it was that obvious, huh? But but we trick ourselves, you know, we trick ourselves into saying, no, well, you know, I'm really good at it. Well, I'm making a lot of money. So just, just shut up and do it, right? You never expected to be making what you were making, working so little. Like it was what everybody looks at as the dream scenario, but it actually had turned into my nightmare. And so it just took a little bit of a culture shock of being in Africa and just seeing how people there, like, there, you know, we met people that lived on $200 a month with a family of four, and they were just the most like kind, friendly, happy people you would ever meet. And it was like, man, is money it? Is money the thing? Because I'm acting like this money is what's keeping me in line and this money is what's keeping me doing this thing. And I just, you know, I had this other moment where my father passed away at 61 last year. And I was like, man, <laughs> it's life is super short. And my, you know, my grandfather in his early seventies, you know, a couple of years ago, I just, you see these things and you're like, it's too short. It's too short to do things that like you don't want to be involved in. And so there was this accumulation where I was like, 
life's too short to keep doing something I hate. And so I had no backup plan. I had no new business. I had no idea what I was going to do. I just said, that's it. Now I hedged a little bit because I did keep two of my highly profitable clients who I spend less than an hour a month on. But sometimes when you put these feelings and these ideas out into the universe, the universe is like, oh, but you said you wanted to get rid of this business. So those two clients left in the same week. Yeah. <laughs> and I was Mike, like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mike, I, I, I am so, so grateful that you're, you're telling us this story and you're being authentic and transparent within this because it is so beautiful to hear. And you mentioned something in regards to, you know, repressing your true feelings and calling it out of practicality, which every single individual does it, right? If you're starting as an entrepreneur and you're like, oh my God, do I leave my safe, secure job? Once again, an air quotes here to start a business. And then you're like, oh, you know what? I can't, I have kids. I have this, I have that. I have a mortgage to pay. And then you call it out of practicality. And that's what was happening to you. were calling it out of practicality for the X amount of years, doing something you do not love because it was a good pay, it was a good gig until you kind of had that clarity, which I believe if you want to be a high-achieving individual, the first thing you have to have is massive clarity. Now, the second thing that I really wanted to unpack and have your opinion on, the aspect of traveling and seeing different cultures. Now, Coming from the North American ideology of capitalism, which I am a huge fan of capitalism, but let me just specify capitalism with empathy. You work, bring something in the marketplace that brings value that is not hurting anybody else, but not hurting the planet and is just creating good, make all the money in the world. And we have really much that mindset of that work, work, work in North America. But when you travel the rest of the world towards Europe, Asia, Africa, they have so much more of a better understanding of how to have that like that that joy of life, which I feel like in North America, sometimes we miss out on that because we're running after the next toy, the next thing, the next house, and we miss that. When did that moment really awaken to you happen? Was it just in Africa or was before, or was it from what happened to your parents and grandparents uh, and my condolences for that? Were those the tipping points or was it something that was bubbling within you? And what would you suggest for anybody that might be dabbling with these feelings. How would you suggest for them to kind of go into that and respect that feeling in itself? Yeah. So I was a typical Toronto boy, like lived in the city for 10 years. Um, when I left, my partner and I went down to Mexico. We were planning on doing kind of like a six month trial of this whole living remote thing. And we experienced the COVID lockdown actually in mm -hmm. Mexico in a small beach town called Sayulita. It was the best six months of my life. I mean, we lost almost all, like we lost 80% of our recurring revenue in four days, like marketing agencies, no thanks. Like we're the first to go. Right. And so, wow. you know, I was like, I, what are we going to do about money? And I just found through the experience of, of experiencing COVID there in this town with the local people there, I was like, I actually don't. I actually don't care. And it like unearthed a lot of things for me. I actually don't. So I'm in Canada right now visiting, but I'm a non-tax resident of Canada. I have my permanent residency in Mexico and I won't, I won't come back because what I found was, this is the best way I've described it. A lot of the people that I experience in Canada are in a race, but nobody knows where they're racing. Yes, And I find when I'm here, the the pacing and culture for no reason other than I got to look like I'm faster and better and doing more and working harder than everybody else. And I just sit back 
quite frequently and I was like, I, I don't relate to this culture anymore. I am so, so disconnected from it. And and so I, I would say if you don't travel, what I would encourage you to do is spend some time. I'm not saying you have to be a weirdo like me and abandon everything. Get, like I literally, like my all my possessions are in a carry-on in a backpack. I own nothing. I'm out, you know, I'm out, <laughs> I'm out in the, the near the ocean in Mexico. Like I, I kind of like a bum, but like not quite. But I think if you've spent your time here and you've primarily worked here and you have the opportunity to spend a couple of months. So a one week vacation, a two week vacation is meaningless. It takes 48 hours for your brain to shift from like, I got to work right now to like, I'm actually on a beach. And within a week, there's no way for your brain to have any kind of an unlock because you're thinking about going back. So if you can find a way to go for like a month or two and just live amongst another culture while you're still working, um, it, it will change forever, change your perspective. And even if you're going back to Canada and even if you, you know, you've got a house here, you've got a family here and, and ultimately you do need to be in the country. I think having those moments and having those experiences with people who see the world so differently and treat the enjoyment and the gratitude of life in such a different way. Uh, I think it'll change your perspective, even if you're bringing it back here. Okay. That was, that was delicious, beyond delicious. I really hope the viewers caught most of what you just said over there and just understanding that ideology. And it's so funny because it's really hitting home with me as well, uh, Michael, as uh, I'm actually Armenian descent and I'm from Canada as well, from Montreal, as mentioned. And I am still very much that entrepreneurial ideology, but tasting other cultures is really important to me. And this summer, I gave a huge keynote speech in Armenia. And then afterwards, I'm like, hey, what would look like for me to move my business there and be re be a resident of Armenia and then travel the world with the business? I'm like, would it give me that balance, which is that drive that you need, but at the same time, that balance of like, like you said, we're chasing things without knowing what we're truly chasing. We're buying things to impress people that we don't even like. So really when you position yourself like that, it, there's a lot of introspection that happens of like, what is the goal of life and what is your purpose within life as a society, what can you give back and help? So anyways, I feel like we could go down yeah. a crazy rabbit hole, Mike. And my question to you, because it's very obvious that you're successful here. And I truly believe as entrepreneurs, as anybody, we learn from our mistakes, right? And we often have to go through it to learn at a very high level, but it's not only from our mistakes that we can learn. We can learn from other people's mistakes at a very high level. So my question to you is, what is something within your business right now that you're having a hard time with, you're struggling, or even you're failing at, and how are you going to go about fixing that problem in itself? Ah, currently, I thought you were going to say historically. That's not a different a, question. Historically, okay. it's easy. Looking back, it's always easy. Right now, I, we want to learn yeah. what's happening and what's your thought pattern, because that's the most difficult part. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, as someone who just, you know, shut down their company at the end of December, and now we're into March, I'm, I'm falling into a habit, which was I, like most entrepreneurs have extreme like shiny object syndrome. And we're like, oh, but what about oh, what about this? Oh, what if I did this? And I had, you know, everyone's got that page in their notebook, or whatever, I keep it in my remarkable. Um, it's like that never ending list of just dumb ideas that we have like oh maybe i'll just shut everything down and do this so when i quit i actually uh when i shut the business down i actually had a list of 28 things and i, I had an exercise that i did to help evaluate those things and what i'm finding now is 
because of the network I've built, I have, and now that people found out that I'm not running this company full-time, I have stuff coming at me from every angle. Hey, partner with me on this. Hey, sell my product. Hey, join this organization, do this, do that. And so I think having, whether you have none, no opportunities and a bunch of ideas, or you have a bunch of opportunities and no idea what you want, it creates the same friction, which is everything's gonna sound cool because there's pain and there's anxiety in not having the solidity in that moment. And so that's where I'm struggling a little bit where like, you know, and I try, I do a better job now than I used to of like, okay, let me take the time. I put it through my evaluation system and grade the opportunity. But even now, like I, like I said, I've, I've been on the phone you know, 35 times this year already with people saying, Hey, why don't you do this? Come do this. Join me on this. And it's like, everything looks cool at the beginning. Um, and you kind of, your brain, giving your brain the opportunity to like spam around like that can be a very dangerous thing. And I, I'm guilty of it a little bit. Um, so th that's something that I'm, I've got right now where it's like opportunity overload, which is not something to be upset about. It's just a lot to think about. Um, especially as a location independent person is like, what do I do? Where do I live? Like when the opportunities are infinite, it's imp so hard to make a decision, which is a crazy thing to say. And I know some people say, well, I wish I had those decisions to have to make. Uh, and yes, some of it's good, but it's equally like difficult to find where your place is or what, what you should be doing when, you know, there's too many things potentially happening. So that's kind of somewhere where I'm stuck right now. And, and what I'm going to do to fix it is I'm going to put it, going to continue to put opportunities through my evaluation process, grade them, and then kind of see like, okay, what are my A pluses? And what do I still feel passionate about in, in 30 days from now? Out, outside of just feeling that like, oh my God, this is amazing. Let's blow it up. Um, cause that's a dangerous place and a dangerous mindset to make your decisions in. Mike, I love that once again, and let me just unpack this for the viewers and listeners. So the main thing here is having systems and processes in place that when these opportunities come about, you don't just fall for the shiny object syndrome, especially if you are a real entrepreneur, because the base of entrepreneur is what we're problem solvers, right? We see a problem. We want to create a product to solve that problem or a service. So we get excited and sometimes we have to hone it in and really be aware of what we're doing and when we're doing it so we can utilize our energy at the right place. Second thing you mentioned putting it in the process of after getting that opportunity, looking at it, is it aligned with my values, my purpose, and my passion? And that takes time to unpack. And then once you go through that process, then you're more eloquently uh, able to really pick the proper opportunity with what you want to live within your life. Mike, I feel like, man, we could talk until tomorrow morning, but I do want to be respect for your time here. So the last thing I want to say is uh, our viewers are listening, uh, our viewers are watching, sorry, and our audience is listening where would be the best place to connect with you if they're interested to find out more about you, what you do, and potentially even ask you some questions of how to become a digital nomad and kind of do that beautiful start of, uh, of the entrepreneurial life? Yeah, for sure. I, I would say I'm the most accessible on Instagram at the Mike Mall, M-I-K-E-M-O-L-L. -L. Um, I kind of use it for business, but I mostly use it for like stories and travel stuff because I I, 10 last year was a record 10 countries <laughs> so it was a it was a pretty wild ride um and yeah i'm accessible over there okay mike sorry you just said something i have to ask you 
can you please name me the 10 countries? And can you please name me within those 10 countries, which were the ones that you had the best experience as the culture you enjoyed and which was the best in regards to the business connection side of things? Okay, so Canada, US, Mexico, Spain, Hungary, Slovenia, Slovakia, Austria, Namibia, and South Africa. Um, I would say the most beautiful because I turned off, I basically went on like a silent retreat of my own and I drove through the mountains of Austria for four days. Amazing. I would do that in a heartbeat again. Um, I still love Mexico as like the place that I would go. I just feel at home there. There's a certain calm, there's a certain energy. And while I know that there's a lot, it's, this is a funny story, actually, I'll, I'll make it quick. But when I was going to Africa, I told all my Mexican friends and every single one of my Mexican friends were like, but is it safe there? Like, do you feel safe going to Africa? And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's just a place. I'm sure it's going to be fine. And while I was in Africa for two months, I told a bunch of people that I met in Africa. They're like, oh, you from the United States or Canada? I was like, no, no, I actually live in Mexico. And every single person had the exact same look, exact same face went, is it safe there? <laughs> so it's just, it's just so funny when people are when, if they haven't been to a place and they follow whatever's in the media or whatever they've seen on movies as their like placeholder for the stuff, it's absolutely hilarious. But yeah, Mexico is, is home. I'm a resident there. I'm going to start building a house there next year. So that's always my place I go to um, for just about everything. Yeah. I mean, I love the last little bit. And thank you for sharing that. In regards to the perception of people of different places, if they haven't been there, and especially what let's call social media, let's call traditional media feeds us. We have to be very much aware of what we're receiving as information and take on it to the decision on our end. And I've I've lived through exactly the same thing as you. I went to Qatar uh, for the World Cup and everybody's like, oh my God, you're going to the Middle East, this, that, and the other. And you go there and it's the most joyous, welcoming people out there. So yeah. you have to be aware of the perceptions that we put with other people because at the end of the day, we're all homo sapiens. We're all people here to love, serve, and connect. So Mike, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Everything you mentioned will be in the show notes below in regards to your connection. It was such a pleasure speaking to you, and I hope you have a blessed day. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or intrapreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didia. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day. Thank you.